Hey, if you want to watch a great podcast that none of us are on, check out Best Movies Never Made. Available every other Monday from screenwriter Josh Miller and producer Steven Scarlatta as they go behind the scenes of some of the greatest movies never made with fantastic guests like Steve Melching, Ashley Miller, and a lot of other people you have heard of. And not Darren Doctorman. Yet. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you'll be on the show. They just invited me to be on an episode about James Bond. I wonder why. Maybe it's because I have a new book out called Nobody Does It Better, The Oral History of James Bond, available now wherever you get your books. If you're a fan of Inglorious Trexperts, you're going to love Trexperts Briefing Room, a Trexperts new series. Trexperts Briefing Room? What is that? I was about to explain, then you interrupted oh, me. I, it is, sorry. It's curated audio commentaries of classic Star Trek episodes from the original series all the way through Enterprise. You're going to love it as we explore the behind-the-scenes making of all these wonderful Star Trek episodes with cast and crew that you would never expect to hear doing audio commentaries on Star Trek. Sounds like fun. It will be. And you can <laughs> find it on the Inglorious Trexperts podcast feed and on the new Trexperts Briefing podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's go see what's out there. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill, you should pick up my new James Bond oral history, Nobody Does It Better, available now in hardcover, audio, and digital, wherever books are sold. Do you expect me to read? No, I expect you to buy it. Hello, and welcome to our inaugural episode of the Cartoon Bar Room. I am your co-host, Stephen Melching, and this is a show where we invite experts and industry professionals to pull up a stool and talk about all things animation. And now I will introduce you to our co-host, Ashley Edward Miller. Hey there, uh, folks. I don't know if that's uh, that's trademarked, if I can even call people folks on the show, but by God, I'm going to do it right now. Um, and, you know, before I get too caught up in myself, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our very first inaugural guests, uh, some people who are, are very special to us personally, um, have been friends of ours for a very long time. Um, you know him as the host of Robservations, uh, on loan from the Burnett work, Robert <laughs> Meyer Burnett. Well. Gentlemen, it's a great honor to do anything with the two of you because obviously your careers are much more successful than mine and I've admired you for years <laughs> wanting to be uh, anywhere near the two of you and, and it is just knowing how you're not only both knowledgeable about animation, but you now both work in animation. Steve's worked in animation for a long, long time. So this is a great honor for me. Thank you. That's very kind of you. Are we using three names now? I, I, I didn't get the memo. I didn't use my third name, my middle name. Yeah, well, yeah. Can we make up a name for you, Steve? <laughs> Steven in Melching. <laughs> I don't have a middle name, so we're going to have to definitely have to make something up for me. <laughs> Those dulcet tones belong to the voice of the Legion of Superheroes Superboy. Uh, it could be a Superman, but we'll, and, we'll go on. Well, we, could, okay, we couldn't use you know. Superboy. It was a trademark thing. Stupid trademarks. <laughs> and, uh, and a man, you know what? He's my Superman. Um, I have known him since we were 18 years yeah. old. Yeah. Uh, and we, we lived across the hall from each other. 
in our college dormitory. DuPont. Um, and he is the author uh, of, it's the voiceover actor? Voiceover voice actor. Voiceover voice actor. I knew there was a double word in there. The voiceover voice actor with his lovely wife, uh, Mr. Yuri Lowenthal. My wife's name is Mr. Yuri Lowenthal? <laughs> yes. Yes. She should be yes. so lucky. We know who wears uh, the pants in your family. Thank Yuri. you. Yes, yes, you do. Um, thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here as I have been to uh, embark on any shenanigans with you since college. So. That's so funny because uh, Rob and I met in college as well, although we, we, weren't, uh, we weren't neighbors in the dorm, but we were in a class or two together. We were. Really? We, we got to meet uh, George Clayton Johnson together, if memory serves. And, and Abraham Polanski. Oh, that's right. And Tales, was it Night in the City or Tales yeah. of the City? That's right. And Joel Schumacher. <laughs> I don't think I was there for Schumacher. Oh, you I missed didn't that one. There? No. Was that during the nipples on the bat suit era, or was that more Lost Boys? <laughs> no, that that predated that. That was actually before Batman opened. The Tim Burton Batman opened. That was the eighty-eight, eighty-nine school okay. year. Okay. So he. That's was still how old cool we then. are. He was still. The, he was still the guy who did the Lost Boys then. Yes, he had done I've, the Lost Boys, and he had yet to make Flatliners. Right. Wow. So, so, guys, before we get started, I have to ask the most important question in any bar room, and that is, what are you having, mm. uh, Steve? Steve, what are you what are you drinking? What's what's your uh, poison? I got a little uh, Johnny Walker Blue Label happening Whoa. here. Nice, breaking out the good stuff. Yeah. Very nice, very nice, uh, Mr. Burnett. Cheers. What, uh, what I'm usually drinking, really, uh, <laughs> I'm drinking Jameson. <laughs> Oh, you mean like the drink of choice for Starship Smackdown? Yes, exactly. <laughs> when am I not drinking Jameson? <laughs> you've been drinking Jameson as long as I've known you. Yes, yes. pretty it's much. It's the same bottle. You've, yeah. you've been nursing it for a very long time. <laughs> oh, I only wish. Why do you think I don't work more? They know it's not just one bottle. <laughs> and Yuri, what are, you, what are you having, bud? I'm, uh, I'm drinking uh, Woodenville. It's, uh, it's a bourbon. I, I'm, a, I'm a bourbon and a rye guy. So. Well, okay. Your sense of humor it certainly is. It really is. It's spelled differently. But, uh, yeah. And I myself, I'm drinking a Christmas present. Um, I'm drinking a Kura Yoshi uh, that I can't show because of Zoom. Yeah. Uh, Kura Yoshi 12. Uh, I got it for Christmas. It's my, it's my first experience with it. Obviously, because it's from Japan, it's... Um, it's a it's a it's a Highlands. It's got, well, no, no. It's just Japanese whiskey, isn't it? It's not Scotch at all. There's nothing. Well, it depends. They, they, you know, a lot of them get it from they they lean on the whole. Hey, we're Japanese. We're we're doing it. Um, but they they get a lot of that stuff from Scotland. Yeah, that's true. I guess it really depends on the water, which is a whole different conversation in a whole right. different podcast. Except maybe not really. Maybe, maybe, not. maybe that's what we should talk about. <laughs> we should just we should just invite people from animation to talk about alcohol. Right? Do we? <laughs> You know, I I would be okay with that. Right. It's like, you're, you work in animation. You drink and, too much. And I, exactly. Nothing like uh, being in quarantine to, you know, just really ramp up my day drinking. Yeah. yeah it's, it's so, why don't you guys create a show where you anthropomorphize all the great liquors in the world? Like <laughs> some kind of... <laughs> you can... <laughs> it'd be great. Scottish, you know, Japanese whiskeys versus the Irish whiskeys. I mean, the characters could be, they write themselves. Not the terrazzo lady. <laughs> See, we've sold it. Call Netflix. 
<laughs> right. Uh-huh. Right. Oh my God. So, all right, let's. <laughs> so why animation? <laughs> That's a great question. Steve. I ask animation? myself that question every day. No, I, I think all of us, uh, you know, uh, we live in a, in a in a time when uh, animation is more popular now than ever. But I, mm. I, I dare say we all grew up with animation and loving animation. Uh, what were some of the shows you guys watched as kids? Well, for me, one of the first animated shows that I remember loving was Johnny Quest. Yes. Um, I, I was a huge fan of Johnny Quest. I, I Obviously, I identified with Johnny Quest. And I, I really liked the... I liked Race Bannon and, and, and Dr. Is it Benton? Benton Quest? Is that his name? Uh, I, I, I liked the whole... The whole uh, milieu of it, that adventure. I like. I didn't. Yeah. When you're a kid, I think the first characters that you know and love and you follow are animated characters, whether it's in a Disney feature or whether it's in an episodic show. I, I mean, I remember you know thinking that Haji and and Johnny and Bandit had this great relationship. <laughs> I'm like, I want a friend like Haji, and I want a dog like Bandit. <laughs> right. I want my dad to have that jet. You yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and I was, want my life to have that amazing jazzy soundtrack. Oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> and and that was another thing. It was, I think, of all, it, it, when we were kids, that soundtrack and like, whether it was Star Trek or the original Twilight Zone, those, those music cues, when you heard them, they were like this Pavlovian, you had a response to it. It was like ingrained in you, like something good was going to happen when you heard <laughs> that music. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's glad you mentioned Star Trek because I I, I want to say I may have actually come to Star Trek through the animated series mm. before really? the live action series. I, wow. I have vivid memories of watching both of them, but I I can't say for sure which one came first. But sure. I definitely remembered those music cues that they used over and over again because yeah. they're amazing. And when who was it that put out the uh, the soundtrack? Was that La La Land? La La Land, yeah. Neil Bulk uh, was it's involved. Tremendous, and putting in that CD and listening to all those cues, the the rush, they all just came back like beat for beat. You can anticipate every beat of that music. It's yeah, so iconic. Yeah. Now, the thing that's kind of different about Johnny Quest, and it's funny that you mentioned that as the one that when you were a kid, that was the one is. Johnny Quest, if I recall correctly, was a prime time it was. animated show. Was it really? I have totally forgotten that. But I think by the time that I got around to seeing it, it was probably already in syndication. Mm-hmm. So, like, it, the Flintstones and Johnny right. Quest were prime time animated shows when they first started. But I think Johnny Quest was in the 60s. So, I probably saw it in the 70s for the first time. Um, I think all, I remember seeing it in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Are, we, are we all roughly the same age? Yeah, I think so. I know yeah, we I think, are. I think, yeah, yeah, I know, I know you and I are. Uh, yeah. Steve and I, I think, are the same age. We're old. Yeah, we're, I think we're a couple years older than you guys. Yeah. But okay. I think we I mean, all essentially grew up in the 70s. But, yeah, but we, yeah. Would have been, we would have been consuming the same media. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're all contemporaries. We yeah. would have yeah. been in the same elementary school together, maybe a couple grades apart. But Yeah. yeah. But I mean, what was interesting, too, is is back then that animation was made for everyone. Like even though Johnny Quest had kids in it, because it was prime time, it had to appeal to adults as well. Mm -hmm. And I think 
one of the things that we had when we had animation, whether it was watching classic uh, Disney features and watching something like Johnny Quest, was it wasn't necessarily directed toward us as children. There was a certain sophistication, and same with the Star Trek animated series, which I also loved. It, it was written by the writers of the original series for the most part, and it had the same voice actors. And the stories, even though it was on Saturday morning television, they were fairly sophisticated. And, and I think that was, animation didn't, I never felt when I was a kid, I, I felt that anime, I didn't like things that were made for kids other than Sesame yeah. Street and the Electric Company. Mm-hmm. I didn't, and, and I think the reason I gravitated towards something like Johnny Quest is it felt, it felt a little above me. I always like to, to punch up instead of punch down. And I felt Johnny Quest was showing me a world that, ooh, I could grow up and be a part of. As you know, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and the, the, the Flintstones was another favorite of mine, uh, yep. made in prime, and for primetime TV for adults. And my other, my other very favorite growing up were the Warner Brothers Looney Tunes cartoons. And those were made for movie theaters in yep. the 40s and 50s and 60s. I'm sorry, Yuri, I interrupted you. No, I was just going to say, and, and I, I, thank you for reminding me of a time when cartoons didn't have to be for kids. When they were making cartoons to be consumed by a wide variety you know, and, you know, of, of age groups. And then it did seem like after a while, there was a change that, 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 where that came into animation where it had to be for kids and they had to be careful about what they did. And they had to make sure that you saw the parachutes and it was blue, you know, blue and red lasers, you know, and it, you couldn't. Um, and, I, and I'm trying to pinpoint exactly when that, I mean, it must've been what, like 83, early 80s, 83. Makes, well, I think, it I, think it's, I think it started in the late seventies with stuff like the super friends and, and uh-huh. uh, you know, uh, the, a lot of those Saturday morning shows that were based on products uh, like Pac-Man or, things like that. And, and then there was that whole uh, period in the 80s into the early 90s where you have a lot of these parental groups uh, that became very concerned with imitatable right. violence and, and whatnot. And that had a big impact on the content of kids' animation. That was right around the time I started working uh, professionally in animation where that was a big deal um, about you know, use of language and, you know, I've got stories, crazy stories about that. And thankfully that's in large part gone away. There's, there's, and that was also a time where you consumed your animation in very few places. You would see it on the Mm. three networks on Saturday morning and you might see it in the after school or before school block on a local uh, channel. And nowadays you've got your Nickelodeons, uh, your different flavors of Nickelodeon channels and your different Disney channels. And and different your cartoon, cartoon network, network channels, your Adult Swim. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. your Adult and your Netflix. Roll, but yeah. Your Crunchyroll. Hulu. Roll, yeah. yeah. And I'm so glad that we're in this incredible renaissance. We're like this, I would call this maybe the second renaissance for animation. The first one being that 1989 to 93 period of Fox Children's Network, Fox Kids Network with Batman the Animated Series and X-Men yeah. the Animated Series and The Tick and Animaniacs and all that stuff. Ghostbusters the series and Gargoyles. And- Gargoyles, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And, and now we're in this, this period of, uh, in the last 10 years or so, this incredible growth in adult animation um, that is, is, is really great. <laughs> It's really funny. Well, yeah, because we grew up, I mean, the people that grew up watching animation, you know, as kids, they realized they've branched out and there's been so many things that people have come in contact with that adults don't feel like, well, I, 
I can't watch animation. It's beneath me. And yeah. now that that isn't true anymore. And I think a lot of that has had to do, like Steve, you and I, we were anime fans growing up, and 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 that was something they would bring over from Japan and make it for kids, even though it wasn't necessarily originally seven, made seven, for well, kids. Right. Seven Zark Seven, and right, yeah. The, Battle yeah. of the Planets. Ba- yeah. Loved Battle of the Planets. I mean, it, I mean, that's what I'm, I'm glad you you went there because I was going to take us there eventually. I mean, I re, I definitely remember and and I I miss you know the, like the death of Saturday morning as a cartoon. Like I love that we can see cartoons whenever we want to, and there's a lot more. But I do feel some nostalgia for that that Saturday morning experience as a kid. Uh, but um, but anime, like I fell in love with anime before I knew that it was anime. Like I was like. Speed Racer is awesome, and you know Star Blazers is awesome, and and it wasn't until maybe like Robotech that that I became aware that it was even really a Japanese show that has you know to do with, with my you know my age and everything, and but uh, it, I mean that was that was my everything, you know. Yeah, I, my time. father was uh, in the Air Force, so I, I grew up moving around the country. And uh, we spent a few years from 76 to 79 living in Hawaii. And as such, we had a lot of Japanese television in Japanese language. So that's where I was first exposed to anime. And I watched stuff. And this was all subtitled. You know, Raideen, right. you know, Getter Robo G, and the so original were- Power Rangers. You weren't yeah. watching Battle of the Planets. You were watching Gatchaman. Gatchaman. Like, yes. like, like, <laughs> right. Uncensored, uncut. Yeah. And right. as, a, as an eight-year-old reading subtitles. That's and this amazing. is before Star Wars even came out. And so, and then... Uchukai uh, and Yamato. Yeah. And, exactly. And Star Blazers. Yeah. And then I, we moved from, uh, from Hawaii to Virginia, actually not far from where Ashley was growing up, outside of Manassas, Virginia, uh, watching Captain 20 mm-hmm. uh, in the afternoons. I, and that's I, where I, I was in Arlington. Was well. So I was... I was growing up with Captain we 20. All Captain down. 20. By yeah. the way, there's a great documentary about Captain 20. Maybe Steve, you told me about it. That's I would that's watch Amazon. the shit out of that. Yeah. yeah. I thought you told me about it, but anyway, you know it's what? great. <laughs> You've both been <laughs> drinking. We told, okay. Yeah, we've both been drinking. Who knows? We're at the bar. We're having a bar conversation. I loved anime as a kid, didn't even know it. My favorite shows were Marine Boy, Marine Boy. Uh, Kimba, The White Lion. Mm hmm. Um, I loved Star Blazers. Yes. Um, and, you know, we talked about Battle of the Planets. Um, but I loved those shows. And it's funny because, I mean, I watched Marine Boy and Kimba in the early morning before school. Uh, Star Blazers was after school. But to me, those shows, like what I remember most about them is I actually remember... Uh, the big emotions. It's like, I get it. They were recut for kids. They were presented as kids' shows, but they didn't feel like kids' shows to me. They felt like something very big and powerful was going on. And, and there, I, was, I, there was epic scope in there. There, was, there, were, there, yeah. there were stakes. There were consequences. People died in those shows. Yeah. Captain Avatar died, spoiler alert, in Star Blazers. <laughs> like, holy <laughs> crap, man. He's dead. I loved him. Right? Yeah. Like, my favorite scene in that show was like, and it's like, you'd never see this in a kid's show today, when he just hauls off and, like, slaps Wildstar, right? <laughs> I mean, come on. It doesn't get any better than that. Well, also, yeah. the doctor was always drunk. You know, yeah. he's always yeah. carrying his bottle of sake around. and, and <laughs> That they said uh, it was spring water from spring, Earth. Right. Yeah, spring right. water from Earth. <laughs> and and I think also there was, there, was, there was something else I wanted to mention. We got cable... And you couldn't get cable where we were, so my parents got a this big giant antenna. 
on the roof of our house so we could get Showtime. And one of the things that they would do is their interstitial programming on Showtime, this is 1980. A lot of it was really weird, bizarre animation from around the world. Like I remember seeing a, a short by a woman named Sally Cruikshank called Quasi and the Quackadero. And it was this really weird, like surreal, and I would watch anything. And there was all kinds of, it led me to getting like Fritz the Cat on video. I didn't know who Ralph Bakshi was, you know, and I didn't realize, I didn't know what underground comics were at the time, but there was Fritz the Cat, Nine Lives of Fritz the Cat. And then, like Steve said, I didn't know anything about Ghetto Robo G, but then Showtime also put on this thing called Force 5 where they brought Star Avengers, which was Ghetto Robo, uh, Ghetto Robo G. And, um, and then they had Guy King and Grendizer and, and they had all the super robot shows from Japan in the 70s that I was able to see in the early 80s as a 13, 14-year-old. And I'm like, this is awesome. This is what Shogun Warriors, it, yeah. it, the, the toy line that they Which brought they to had. America, yeah. we could never see those shows. And then you realize, oh, there's all, there's all like, from animated shows. And it was yeah. a revelation. Yeah. I had Raiden. That was that was the only one that I had. And it was like the, one of the greatest gifts. You look back in life and you're, and you're like, oh my God, my parents, I don't know how they did it, but they really nailed it that time. Yeah. I did will you have never the, did forget Did you have the big that. one? Yeah. The big the, one? Oh, yeah, I'm the, so the, jealous. The, I never had the big yeah, one. That was the, the only one of those that I ever had. Yeah, the I, jumbo you know. machinders. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, had the, I had the little die cast ones. Yeah. Which yeah. were great. And I love those things. They Actually, really, really well made. Yeah. Super well made. I still collect them. I, I got a bunch on my shelf, uh, invisible behind my background. <laughs> my office is a, is a mess because it's too friggin' small. But yeah, I, I love those those really well made Japanese die cast toys, the vehicles, and the the yeah. precursors to the Transformers, which came along sure. in the late seventies, early eighties, which then of course became the the basis for the television series. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of kicked off that 80s syndicated television boom with uh, G.I. Joe and, and Thundercats, He-Man, yeah. Thundar the Barbarian. Thundar the Barbarian, yeah. One of the weirdest shows on, on Saturday morning cartoons. Dude. Yeah. Ariel, with Ookla the Mock. Ookla the Mock. What's a mock? Him and I, yeah, it does, doesn't matter. Catch up. You know? Another thing, too, that I wanted to mention was was not just Star Trek, but there was a Planet of the Apes animated mm-hmm. series. Yes, I remember there that was very well. Godzilla anime up yep. from yep. the depths, the 30 stories Story tall. Breathing wow. fire. I mean, it was... Got, yeah, Godzuki. Yeah. And Godzuki. I mean, yeah, that stuff was... Uh, that was classic. And all of that stuff really, really was totally... It's shaped... Because the thing is, you didn't... I love the Planet of the Apes movies... But I didn't differentiate between the animated show. It was just more Planet of the Apes. Just like Star Trek, the animated series, I didn't sit there and go, oh, well, this is a childlike kiddie version. It was like, nope, this is more Star Trek. And and that was all part of the same continuum. For the record, the uh, the Godzilla cartoon, I I love that cartoon. I remember the Calypso very well. And one of the things I did as a kid, I think I've still got these stories sitting around someplace and I have to dig them up. I would write episodes of the Godzilla cartoon about the crew of the Calypso and Godzilla and the monster he was fighting and what Godzuki was doing. So, 
They, they've got to be around someplace. It was like, I got pitches, man. Like, put me on staff. I'm ready to rock. I'm ready to go. Like, who says I've only been writing animation for two years? I've been writing it since I was two. Well, you know, in, in a similar vein, uh, I used to, I, I loved watching cartoons as a kid and, and even into my high school years, which when it was decidedly not cool to be watching animation yeah. as a high schooler in the 80s. But I would come home after school and I would work on my Dungeons and Dragons you know, uh, maps and whatnot and watch <laughs> cartoons. And my dad, who was, you know, in the military, wasn't a big fan of me, you know, sitting in front of the TV, you know, working on this foolishness when I could be out, you know, flipping hamburgers and earning minimum wage somewhere. And right. um, it was with great relish that years later, I began working on shows that were descendants of all the shows that I worked on a <laughs> yeah. He-Man show. I worked on multiple Transformers yeah. shows. I worked on Batman shows. Yeah. It yeah. was, it was all, I was all, that was my job prep. That was right. I didn't know it at the time, but it was. Did yeah. you get to lord it over your father? Oh yeah. 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 That, like the years that I've like made more money than him writing these cartoons. Was great. Yeah, I used to, I used to actually cut school to get home in time for the opening credits of Robotech. Cause the music was so good. And oh, like, yeah. I didn't want to miss anything. I remember leaving early so I could get home to watch Robotech and then probably work on my Dungeons & Dragons maps after that. People <laughs> underestimate the, the importance and the power of music in animation. And it's unfortunate because I think, you know, there's a lot of animation that treats it like it's live action, that it's, you know, it's, it's wallpaper. But, I mean, is there, is there really a, a better use of, of music or a better main title for an animated series than, than Star Blazers? Right, like yeah. it's like you associate that the emotion in that is just it's yeah. it's incredible, and it also it tells the story. It gives you like yeah. like a lot of classic shows. It gives you the setup for the show. Right, so the context, we're off outer space. We're saving Mother Earth. It's mm -hmm. saving human rights. There you go. It's it's all you really need to know. Yeah, and it's the same with thrilling. Uh, here he comes. Here, here comes, comes the razor. Razor. He's, He's a demon on wheels. wheels. And yeah. there was something about that where, as a kid you could immediately, even before the show started, you were participating in the experience because you, you knew the song. Right. You know, yeah. and it was something that you could sing later, like later when you weren't watching the show in anticipation, like, oh, I can't wait to see, I hope today's is the mammoth car. Right. And you could sing it while you were playing with the toys. And the yeah. great thing about the toys then was, and look, man, it's like I have my Transformers and my G.I. Joes and all that other shit. But, but you know, when you had those toys, when the show came first, it was like the toys were a way to live inside of the show. And, and, to, to, make your, and to make your own while you were waiting for that. I mean, that was Star Wars action, you know, Star Wars figures where, yep. you know, they, they weren't getting those movies out fast enough. And after that first one, we didn't know if we'd get another one. And, That's right. You know, and so we were... I was, you know, we were making our own movies with those action figures. The, the, the whole, that's the whole reason anybody thinks Boba Fett is cool. Because all he does in the movies <laughs> right, exactly. is throw yeah. Han Solo in the trunk of his car and drive away. That's it. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. the one thing he does. <laughs> He's a man don't of remember, uh, Don't yeah. forget the first time we saw him. He was animation. animation. Right. That's, true. <laughs> that's right. It was part the of the, the, the holiday special. And then I, we all, may, I, I know I did, I mailed away for my free Boba Fett action figure yep. with the proof of purchase seals. And that yep. thing came, I still have it. It's on my shelf also behind me, my original oh, it. Well, oh, Boba Fett. It not, well of course, not the missile firing version, but uh, yep. it, it, it is the version where the missile is glued in place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, yeah. See, there's an episode we need to do, right? We need to do an episode where we talk about the toys that came out of animation. Yeah. An animation that generated toys. Toys. And just, 
Talk about Hold that thought. toys. Hey, Rob, yeah. do you know anything about toys? Oh, I, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I mean, I'm it's still collecting the same Japanese animated super robot toys. Way too expensive now. Terrible. Yeah. But, you know, there's something else I wanted to mention that was a big deal in my life was in 81, 1981, I was 14, summer of 81, was when Heavy Metal, the movie came out. Yes. And and that was an R-rated, I wasn't even old enough to get into it. So I had to get taken to it. And and the combination of heavy metal music and, and people like Sammy Hagar and Don Felder or Devo, you know, the soundtrack to heavy metal. And the fact that by that time I was really into hardcore horror novels and there's a lot of horror and science fiction and sex elements and heavy metal. I'm like, yeah, man, uh, animation is grown up and I was there and this felt, that's again, getting into things like Fritz the Cat and these R-rated cartoons and it was like a whole new world. Well, so, it was mind-blowing for me seeing that movie and the first time I saw it was like, when you sort of have HBO and, and nobody, kids today can't relate to this because they yeah. don't have, they don't get TV in the same way. But, <laughs> but back in the day, back when dinosaurs walked the earth and everything was in black and white, um, sometimes HBO would have a free weekend and there was sort of a signal if you weren't getting the free weekend and right. you could kind of maybe sometimes halfway watch something and yeah. I halfway watched the shit out of heavy metal, <laughs> heavy metal until the summer I stayed with my grandmother and then I just watched it every time it was on and it blew my mind, man. Talk yeah. about, you know, it's the importance of the music, um, the storytelling. I, absolutely. I have it on vinyls. Yeah. Oh my God. Right it's, there. Yeah. The soundtrack is awesome. It's awesome. But here's the other thing that's, that's awesome about heavy metal. And it's, it's something I think people maybe take for granted about animation in terms of what you can do. I don't know that they were always exactly successful because of the limitations of, you know, just of resources of budget. But what they really tried to capture in the, the episodes inside that anthology that was linked by the overstory of the girl hearing the story from the Lochnar about right. all the people who had interacted yeah. with it, was they tried to capture the artistic style and intention of the creators of the original comics that had appeared mm -hmm. in heavy metal, right? So like Richard doing, Richard Corbin with Dead, yeah, with yeah Dan, absolutely, yeah. with the great John Candy starring yeah. as fifteen year old as Dead, Dead it's like yeah. fifteen years, nothing, yeah. then boom, twice in one day. Twice one. <laughs> <laughs> it's just awesome. You die, she dies, everybody, everybody dies. dies. <laughs> exactly. I still say that. That's that's one of my litmus tests. Sometimes I'll just throw that out and see who bites. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's rare. It is I've rare. I've got an what? angle. <laughs> Captain I, Stern. Captain yeah, Stern. I fly better when I'm kindergarten prostitute ring. Good Nyborg, man. <laughs> or I, I, you know. My, my heavy metal thing was, and some of you who grew up in, in the same place that, that I did will remember the Fair Oaks Mall. Yes. Um, I, I don't know if it's still there anymore. It's probably not. But uh, Fair Oaks Mall, they would do uh, midnight screenings when I was in high school. Of They would always do the same night on Friday or Saturday night, I forget. Uh, but they would do in one theater, they would do Rocky Horror Picture Show. And in the other theater, they'd do heavy metal. Awesome. And <laughs> you were either one or the other. Like you were either a Rocky Horror kid or you were a heavy metal kid. And Did I remember you? always going at the same time and thinking that afterwards, that, but because the runtime- There should be a rumble? 
that there was going to be like a rumble in it, you know, but it's like heavy metal versus Rocky Horror. But I mean, that was the show that I used to, you know, put the car in neutral and let it roll down the driveway and, and sneak out. And like, I was, I was, I was a good kid and I was a rule follower, but that was just one of those things that just turned me into a rebel. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to risk everything to go to the midnight screenings of heavy metal. And we just go and go and go and go and go. I'm surprised to hear anyone say something good about the Fair Oaks Mall. Because I went, <laughs> during my years there, I hated that mall. My parents sure. always used to like to go there because they had a lot of clothing stores. But when I was there, there was, there was no video arcade in that mall. Sure. There was no good bookstore. I mean, it was just like clothes and adult crap. Like, I wanted to go to the Chapel Hills Mall. That was where, not Chapel Hills, uh, the Springfield Mall. Springfield Mall, yeah. There wasn't a good bookstore at Fair Oaks until my freshman year of college, which I know because for about three years before that, I had worked at Manassas Mall at a Walden Books uh, because basically the beauty of it was you got a store discount on books and if you tore the covers off of them, you just got them for free. He just yeah. sent them back. Um, and my manager, by, by the way, unbeknownst to both of us, I used to shop at that Walden Books, and I believe that's where I bought my very first monster manual for D&D uh, in the Manassas Ball bookstore there. Outstanding. I was going to say, is, it, is this going to be a story where you tell me about how you were the guy who was standing in the corner looking at the Playboys and trying to look cool? <laughs> right. And I was like, oh, it's Miss March. Now, I, uh, I actually I helped open, a, and it's now gone. It, it turned into something else, and now bookstores aren't even a thing anymore. A, a huge Brentano's. In Fair Oaks, I spent a, a Thanksgiving yeah. doing like eighty hours, like getting that getting that store open. Um, so you're right; there there wasn't a hell of a lot there unless you wanted clothes or random crap that moms like. Yeah, <laughs> you know what else I was thinking about too, in terms of animation, was I I don't think the influence of Star Wars uh, can be forgotten here because. Books like The Art of Star Wars came out and Ralph McQuarrie's Portfolio came out. And so right painted artwork became something that I became something that I wanted. So I started collecting artwork like that and it, it led me to comic book collecting again. Like I liked yeah. comics when I was a kid, but then I got back into it when I was in junior high and high school and that fueled an interest in anime and 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 animation and world animation so it all it was all kind of it all fed off of itself really yeah, yeah i think and, star blazers didn't really become a thing in in the united states until after star wars came out mm -hmm. even though the right, original right. series predated star wars that's right it was dubbed and and syndicated in the u.s afterwards and right. became yeah. successful no, and, and and that again, the storyline was so. I mean, what was really interesting about Star Blazers was it was serialized, like shows today are. Yeah. If you could have binged Star, it was a yeah. soap opera, and you, the stakes were high. The Earth was at stake, literally, and and it was it felt important. And when you watched it, it was. It, I think Star Blazers, to be honest, might be the first bingeable show I remember watching as a kid. Oh, yeah. Because I couldn't wait to the see next, the next episode. Yeah. Well, and, and you bring happen? up a great point. It was it was one of the first serialized animated series where you come home from school if you if you had soccer practice or something and you missed an episode, you know, you didn't know what happened. You know, you missed right. part of the story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You'd have to you wait you know, six months until it repeated and maybe you caught you filled in the blanks. Yeah, yeah. I literally ran home every day from school to make sure that I got to see Star Blazers. And man, if I was late or somebody was watching some 
talk show bull crap right. on the TV. Like, and it was just, oh, it was a crisis, man. It was a disaster. I was obsessed with that show. I was obsessed with that ship. So much so that for the longest time, and because it's like I grew up with it as Star Blazers, I could only think of the ship as the Argo. And now I finally like got it in my sure. head that's, that it's the Yamato, yeah. which is cool, right? But right. it's like, but to me, but it was Argo. the Argo. Yeah. No. Argo, so fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but also, the villains were bad. Yeah. Like they they weren't like, you know, Dudley Do Riders or he's not, he's not a villain, but it's it's not like Snidely Whiplash. Snidely Whiplash. Snidely yeah, Whiplash. Yeah. You know, these these are these are bad people and they meant they they meant harm to our main characters and there was no escaping them and there was real peril. Yeah. And yet it was animated. So the idea yeah. that animation could encompass emotion as well. It didn't just make you laugh. Or make you, you know, when Bambi's mom dies, it wasn't like that either, but it was something more. And yeah. I think the possibilities of animation as a storytelling medium were instilled in us in a, in a very young age in a way that maybe that wasn't true later. Well, yeah. you think about, you know, and oh my God, we could probably do an entire show on Star Blazers, and by the way, we probably should. But, <laughs> um, you know, something like a character like Wildstar, right? Like Derek Wildstar. How, I mean, how could we not? empathize with him as kids, right? It's like, yeah, okay, he's he's an adult compared to us, but really his story is about a kid who is growing up into responsibility and yep. he's learning how to manage the expectations of this father figure of Captain Avatar, right? It's it's very interesting to me that that even as, you know, a 5-year-old, a 6-year-old, like that would translate for me, that I could get into that. And that's the thing that I remember the most. Like, I, you know, obviously, I, well, okay, I remember the wave motion gun the most. <laughs> sure, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> I remember the wave motion gun and the relationship between Wildstar and Captain Avatar more than anything else. And just, and you know, spoiler alert, Captain, we've talked about it, Captain Avatar dies. But it's, you know, how, how Wildstar handles that, how he steps up, how he, like, how he becomes a commander. It's like all of those things, like, I think, you know, what it, what it tells me, and now I kind of like look at my idiots who are, you know, they're both five years old now and I've got an 11-year-old and how they watch these things. And I have to remind myself sometimes that they watch these things, I think, more deeply than I, I necessarily want to give them credit for. And I think at times, especially in the 80s, like when, when you know, kids' TV started pandering to, to kids, like that they weren't quite giving those kids enough credit for how yeah, they no, were they weren't. Television. Animation owes it to, to kids to, to deal with those things and to talk to them like adults, um, or at least, you know, I mean, about more adult themes uh, within their, you know, development. Just because you're right, I think they do. I mean, my kid comes away with stuff that, you know, I, I, I won't know until later when I'm putting to bed and he starts asking me all these questions about that episode of Gargoyles that we watched and, or whatever it was. Um, and yeah, I, th I think animation owes it to kids, and they and they forgot. They 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 thought it was about selling toys and breakfast cereal and sugar, and you know, and I don't know. I don't right. know where Not we lost understanding it. what was selling the toy, right? Exactly. <laughs> Other than the toy is cool. Was 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 an emotional connection? Yeah. 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 I you know, and then I remember working at, and here's another uh, Errol's video. I don't know if, if you yeah, I totally Errol's remember. Video. I used to stand around the, like the return bin all the time. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was that guy. I was the return bin sniper. Right. <laughs> I, we, we, I remember you at my store. Not you exactly, but we had a you at my store. <laughs> Who is this kid? Why is he here all the time? Right. But it was that was also my opportunity to, you know, in, in high school to see more adult animation because, you know, we had we had um, you know, wizards and fire and ice and, you know, like all that, you know, Bakshi stuff and just really weird um, stuff that they were like, oh, yeah, we need to, you know, get more video out there. Put, you know, put all these weird animated movies that, you know, that I hadn't seen before on, on the shelf. And then I would get to take home six movies. That's part of my deal. I got to take home six movies a night and I would never be able to watch six movies in one night, but I would always take them out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, and and every now and then, sometimes I would just take it out to see if the, what was on the cover actually happened in the film, and I would just fast forward. I'm like, there's no way that you know that, that somebody's putting two shotguns together. Like that couldn't be in the film, or you know, uh, you know, a, a triple bladed sword and one launches out. You know, like I, I would have to take the film home to see if what was on the cover was actually there. And I ended up seeing a lot of adult animation that way. That was the sword and the sorcerer you just described. Very nice, Rob. Yes. We, we um, all grew up in an interesting time in animation where there wasn't, I don't recall a whole lot of new animation being produced in the 70s yeah. and 80s. There was a lot of the, kind of that cheap syndicated animation and some cheap Saturday morning animation. But Disney wasn't really putting out they hadn't. We hadn't had the Disney Renaissance that's kind of started no. with the Little Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast right. and Aladdin and that stuff, and then later Pixar coming in. Um, Disney was was you know they were they were still releasing movies now and then, but it just wasn't the same. And and there weren't these big blocks of of new high quality animation that came along in the late eighties, early nineties on Fox Kids. Um, so we had to kind of. We had a great mishmash of stuff from the 40s, 50s, 60s yeah, that we, we were did. watching. Yeah. You know, I have to tell you the most significant animated moment in my life, this epiphany moment happened. I was nine, and my mom took me to see Logan's Run at the John Dan Cinema, and it was a double feature. Was it the, the orgy scene? No, no, no. Oh, okay. The, the second <laughs> movie was Fantastic Planet. Oh, and it was man, so, that's crazy. So okay. I'm watching this so movie and, and we're wow. staying there and my mom and and after like 10 minutes, if, for those of you who haven't seen Fantastic Planet, it's a Czechoslovakian French co-production. It was in 1973. It was a big film in France. In France, it's based on a science fiction novel, but it's about a planet where human beings are basically pets and they're enslaved to these giant blue people. This is way before Avatar. Uh, they're the ohms and then the... the, the um, the, the, the humans are the ohms and then the aliens are the drugs. And in the first 10 minutes of the movie, a woman, a human woman and her baby are being played with by one of these giant blue animals. And the mother dies and the baby is taken as a pet. Turl, the main character in the, in the movie. And my mom, after 10 minutes, grabbed me by the arm and said, I will not sit here and watch a movie where human beings are treated like ants. And she literally wrenched me out of the chair. I'm nine years old and takes me out of the theater. And I, it, for, it took me three years before I could go to a landmark cinema, a revival house, and there was a double feature of Wizards and Fantastic Planet. And I finally was able to sit down. It was the first time I saw Wizards, first time I saw Fantastic Planet. And to this day, Fantastic Planet is not just one of my favorite animated movies. It's one of my favorite science fiction films. Yeah. 
And, and uh, you know, my, I never, my mom, the only time she ever took me out of a movie theater was because of an animated film. And, and she, took you, she took you out of the theater to get you away from that and instead cemented a love for that. <laughs> I have yes, to remember yeah. that yes. as, as, as a parent yes. now. I'm like, what were the things that my parents did because they were trying to keep me safe that actually made me want to go towards danger more? Yes. I'm trying to temper that a little bit in my own, you know, child's, you know, You know, I had the exact same experience, but it was Fritz the cat. Oh. My mom, not even my mom took me to see Fritz the cat. Street fight, street fight, yeah. I'll tell you one thing. I did bring Fritz the Cat. The first one I saw that was on video. It was on Warner Home Video. And I put it on and I was like, wow. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I think when I was a student at SC, they showed heavy traffic uh, in, in a class. And I made yeah. sure to check that out. And that was good too. Yeah. yeah. Guy's yeah. crazy, man. No, for, for, for sure. And then, you know, that was the... That was how we were introduced to, you know, that was the Lord of the Rings that was my Lord of the Rings until Peter Jackson came along, you know. Right. Was, was that then the first time I ever saw rotoscoping and I mean it was all just still so so weird like animation was still so weird right yeah it was weird there was a lot of weirds because those guys making it were all potheads and stoners and drug yeah. addicts in the 60s and, man yeah we're dropping acid, acid and, and making rock. cartoons yeah. yeah but then you get well I mean with the they, they finished the Lord of the Rings with the Return of the King the Rankin Bass Return of the King which also did the Rankin and Bass Hobbit mm -hmm. yeah there was some pretty cool music in there I mean it was like. You know, the, yep. the, where there's a whip, there's a way. I am <laughs> waiting still, for that to show head. up somehow, mm -hmm. like some homage in the Peter Jackson trilogy. I, I was know. praying for it. It never happened. But well, uh, Yeah, I showed my kids. The greatest adventure I have those bro. records. I play those records for my son, and we finally watched the, the Rankin-Bass Hobbit because I'm not going to let him watch Peter Jackson, you know, Lord of the Rings until much later. But I'm like, Oh no! You can fucking watch the Hobbit. I, if I recall, did you say it to him that way? You're yeah. I was like, you can fucking watch this. <laughs> Peter you can Jackson, the Lord of the Rings, but you can fucking watch the Hobbit. <laughs> hey, Dad. You're no, the but best. it was great because you know, because I mean, because even on that one, you know, when they, when they kill people, it's just they they just sort of spin into the like. There's it's not you know it's, it's hugely gory or anything. And we had been reading the Hobbit at the time, and it was it was perfect. It was perfect. So let's talk about that transition, right from childhood watching these things to adulthood um and what kind of things we found ourselves watching as adults maybe even you know what we're watching now um that kind of that carries on in the the tradition of the things that that spoke to us when we were kids i you know much like video games there was there was a time when i watched less animation i played less video games then i came back to it at a certain time and i remember you know, I, I think we all, you know, started coming back to it. You know, Batman the Animated Series and yeah. Mask of the Phantasm. When they started paying attention to, to that, you know, animation again. And, you know, Animaniacs. And, you know, when they were, when cartoons were, like, getting smart again. Um, and it must, you know, must have been the early 90s, I guess, when, when that uh, when it started. Uh, I mean, that's when I sort of came back to it. And then I came back to, I found a, a different level of anime. I found like the, you know, the, the Ninja Scrolls and the Supernatural Beast Cities and the, 
Urotsuki Doji, the 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 wandering the kid. wandering like, kid, really, yeah, like yeah. the really <laughs> fucked up, like holy shit, the like beginnings I, of hentai, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. What is, what is he doing with those tentacles? Tentacles, right? But you know, what the hell is that? It, it's funny that you say that because the thing, the thing that really got me back into it. It seems cliche to say it now, was Akira, mm -hmm. because oh, yes. you know it, yes. it was. I was at I was at USC. Yeah, it was it was, the, it yeah. was my bef summer before I went to USC. Um, and I went to the San Diego Comic-Con for the first time, and I had read about Akira, and I bought a Japanese laser disc of Akira. It was not subtitled in English. And I took it home, and, and the opening of the whole bike chase yeah. gang fight at the beginning of Akira was, to my mind, I'd never seen light animated before. Yeah. Like the city lights and the neon and the, the I was the bikes so, driving by and the tracers like the, the tra trails uh, yeah, of light. I, yeah. All I, it was so. I mean, I can't. And no I, After Effects kids. Yeah. No, no, I I can't tell you how much that affected me. And it, well, I, and it really, uh, I was not interested necessarily in animation. I'd read about Akira and Starlog, and it seemed like I got to get this. And right. it was one of those things that. I discovered on because I'd read about it and found it and brought it home. It wasn't something anybody told me about. It was just one of those things that you'd read about in Starlog or Cinefantastic or something. And I went and got it. So the experience was not because someone else showed me. It was something that I had stumbled across and I didn't even tell anybody I was interested in this. It was like this personal, oh, look at this. And I bought it and took it home. And I had, and the music. The music, that, oh, the music. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, the whole that whole experience—the first 10, 15 minutes of a cure, or whatever—was mind blowing. And I, after yeah. that, I was like, I was going to getting Vampire Hunter D, and I was, you know, the Yoratsuki Doji, like you said, and and Blood, all, the last vampire. Yeah, all yeah. of the all of this stuff was it was a whole new world. And I was buying Japanese laser discs of anime that were not in English and there was no, I was watching Japanese movies in Japanese because yeah. that was the only way you could get them. And I'm like, I had no idea what was going on in Vampire Hunter D. I'm trying to like, oh, he's got a hand and a mouth in his hand. It didn't yeah. matter. And the yeah. artwork was incredible. <laughs> yeah. And it was a lot more along the lines of like Brian Froud's book of his art with when Dark Crystal came out, I had like the art of Dark Crystal or whatever and seeing Japanese anime that had different styles and it was, I could tell it was Speed Racer on steroids, but it was like, wow. Yeah, Akira, Akira was huge. Akira, I think Akira changed everything. It totally did. And had, frankly, I think the best use of people shouting someone else's name uh, <laughs> since The Graduate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, but also the, the attempt to... <laughs> The attempt to create reality. Like it wasn't stylized animation when a helicopter, a military helicopter would fly by. It was a real military helicopter. Yeah. And cars look real. I mean, I, I remember Akira had like some bored motorist like sitting there waiting for the light to change when a motorcycle would come flying over his car and someone landed in his windshield. Yeah. And it, it freaked me out. I was like, somebody animated a bored motorist. You know, to create that <laughs> sense of reality, that verisimilitude. And I'm like, this is amazing. And it was different than anything ever I'd ever seen. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah. Did anybody see that, uh, that screening they did like a year ago at the, uh, the Academy uh, screening? They did like an a, a anniversary screening. And oh. uh, a bunch of uh, like 
they, they had a, they had a bunch of people lined up on the stage afterwards to talk about it who were all like it was like you know Gendy and you know, like just a bunch of like animators and people who had clearly been influenced by that and wanted to talk about it afterwards and it was uh, it was great seeing it on the big I, it had been a long time since I'd seen it on the big screen and fuck I mean you know that the score which I lit, you know is still in my heavy rotation on my phone. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the drums, the drums are incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually so, bought the first animation cell I ever bought was from Akira. Uh, uh, it's from that uh, from that motorcycle chase sequence. Yeah. I, I actually read the manga first. Uh, really? Wow. Cause, yeah, because they were publishing it in the United States, um, and I think it was I don't know if it was Marvel was publishing it under Marvel it. was in color. Fan yeah, yeah. It, was it was beautiful, and I and I read that before I saw the movie, so I was very excited to see the movie. Very excited to see the movie, yeah. and obviously there are differences because there always are. Yeah, because um, the just, <laughs> way more, way more intense. I mean, oh yeah, huge. it's like because it's it's hugely long. It would yeah. to 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 fully realize it, you'd have to do it as a mini series. You you couldn't just pack it into two hours. And the fact that that movie like runs at two hours, and you can understand what the hell is happening to me yeah. is just. That's amazing. Um, although I, the subtitle version, I think, is much better than the than the dub. Oh yeah, in that regard. Yeah, but I think that really opened the door to a new wave of anime in America. You know, mm -hmm. there was all kinds of things, and, and I think something that can't be undersold or talked about enough is how that that '90s wave of Japanese animation that includes things like Sailor Moon brought girls into fandom. Mm -hmm. You know, and and there was there was a lot of material more that that wasn't just strawberry shortcake. That it was a right. lot more than that. And if you grew up going to the San Diego Comic Con, I mean, we've been going to it for de decades now. Watching that shift in fandom in the '90s was a big deal, and a lot of that was because of more female-oriented. Japanese anime that was coming stateside. Oh, sure, yeah. That that, that the gender balance of Comic Con has changed dramatically since I think I started going in '93 or '94, and yep. it was probably 80, 85 percent male uh, when I started going. And it's I want to say it's close to fifty fifty now. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And that and that's great. And I think animation is a big part of that. There are a tremendous amount of female animation fans and and video games uh, as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. And the cosplay, of course, which is tied in both to video games and animation. Yeah, in fact, there are, you know, conventions that, like, I went to, um, like, the MCA convention in London back MCM. in, uh, two, is it, MCM. what is it? Yeah, MCM. that's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, I went to that, like, back in 2011, mm -hmm. um, when uh, when Thor and X Men were coming out, and uh, like, like fucking ten years ago, <laughs> yeah. and and I walked stand, onto stand that down, Barton, stand down, right? I walked onto that floor, and thank you, by the way. Um, it's just like one silly little line, and yeah, uh, oh my god, guys! Um, I walk onto that floor, and it is just wall to wall anime cosplayers. People wearing costumes for things. I had no idea what it was. Right. And that was like one of the times, it just opened my eyes to how much is out there that we've just never yeah. seen here. There's only well, now, I think, really becoming clear yeah. to most audiences like, wow, like it's not just a big thing, it's there is incredible depth to the library. Well, yeah, and Rob and I used to go to, with a, with a group of friends, used to go to the masquerade every Saturday night at Comic Con, and we'd yes. sit in the back and. <laughs> 
And you know, we had a we had a, we, we were probably pretty obnoxious, but it was it was hilarious. And it was always fascinating to see all these things come out on stage and like I don't know what that is, but the crowd would get so energized by yeah. you know this this semi obscured video game or anime and like wow, these and they were, were really cool. Into this. Yeah. The, the, you'd see these people with these beautifully crafted costumes and it was the the character design even though we didn't know what it was it was apparent that this stuff was really interesting and yeah. and I wasn't even aware of of how much like I remember you ask uh, I think one of you were talking about how did you get back into it I think in the 90s I had a a a level of interest that was bubbling up that was always there but it wasn't but then I would walk into, say, I'd find an anime store here in LA, an anime store, and walk in, and someone, the thing that, that really did it for me was a guy slipped me Legends of the Galactic Heroes, mm-hmm. which is a, a Japanese, my favorite, it became my favorite Japanese animation. It's a, it's a soap opera, not a soap opera, but it's, a, it's an ongoing, it's like Game of Thrones meets World War II meets Lord of the Rings in space. And it's the story of this war, these two warring galactic empires. And it is the most, it's a, the original series was 110 episodes long. And it is the most complex. There's 100 main characters. It is so epic and so sprawling. And it was so adult. And it felt like I was reading, you know, Shiner's Inside the Third Reich about the rise and fall, this thousand page book about the rise and fall of the Third Reich. It was so in depth. And I didn't. I didn't know what an OVA series was. I didn't know all, mm. all that stuff. I didn't. I didn't know much. And then when I started in on it, I'm like, my God, the level of storytelling. This was like reading a a, a piece of literature. But I'm. But I, and it was amazing. And that's when I realized this is like mid to late '90s. And then getting into it, I realized there's a whole universe I was missing out on. Mm-hmm. And then I started really delving into various things and finding things and and i realized my god this world is enormous and there's so much good stuff here and i just had never seen it before and and that's one of the things we want to do with this show that i think ashley i want to do is to like bring attention to some of these things that you may have never heard of before um that you might find really exciting uh to to revisit or to see to see for the first time Mm. Especially now that now that it's more it's more accessible, you can find that stuff. Because for for a long time, there was stuff like I had heard about this show, but where the fuck would you find? Like you can't. Right. There wasn't a place. There was pre-internet. Like you, you couldn't just you know BitTorrent that shit. I mean, it was it was just not available. You would have to go. You would have to go to a convention, may, and maybe just paw through things. And somebody will have done like a you know a, a just a you know their own transfer, you know whatever of something. You know, barely has subtitles. I mean, that's how you got that stuff. Back. Some some crummy crummy DVD bootleg with a yeah. color Xerox cover. Yeah, exactly. and the box office treatment is so much different now than it was yeah. then. Even like in the nineties, yeah. I remember going to see Princess Mononoke Yuri at the Williamsburg Community Theater, at the Dog Street Theater. Yeah, yeah, the Dog Street Theater. Like we didn't, you know, we, we it wasn't at like you know the main movie theater. You had to go to a specialty art house theater to see it. Right? I don't think. I saw like a music. I think it was Spirited Away that was like what I saw in a in an actual like actual know. like real a real a real theater, theater. Yeah. a, a yeah. real theater yeah. that wasn't like an art house theater. Yeah. And yeah. Now it's like Miyazaki comes or, out and it's sure. like it's on three screens and it's yeah. or it would be if it weren't for COVID. If it were for a global <laughs> pandemic, yeah, yeah, it's killing all theaters. Yeah. 
And also magazines like New Type came out, you know, yeah. these oversized. Yeah. And suddenly there was, it was all available and they were including CD-ROMs that had episodes and trailers. And you could get Shonen Jump in like, you know, Shonen you Jump. Know, in the fucking airport or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, it completely changed. And uh, it seems so funny to be talking like talking about it this way, but... You know, it really feels like we grew up in the dark ages so long ago. <laughs> <I know. laughs> but, well, now that we're here today, what are you guys watching now in terms of animation? Are there any shows that you're watching now? Any movies that are recent that you've enjoyed? Yeah, I will. Uh, because, and it, I, I find having a four-and-a-half-year-old is <laughs> a great opportunity to go back and watch through things that I sort of remember but really wanted to go back to, like Gargoyles. I had never really gotten into it. And I'm, you know, now it's on, uh, you know, Disney Plus. And I'm watching all, you know, I've started the beginning of Samurai Jack and I'm watching Samurai Jack with him and like all of that stuff. And, um, you know, starting back at the beginning of Clone Wars and starting, you know, and just watching Clone Wars all the way through, which I never really did. Um, and he's a great, you know, gateway back into that stuff. But I'm also finding because he's, because I have a child now and he likes animation, um, Stuff like um, what is it? Uh, Tom Moore. Uh, the he did uh, he did uh, Song of the Sea and Secret of Kells and just mm -hmm. came out with something on Apple the Plus. The Wolf Walkers, which was also great. Oh. It is so beautiful. What what he does is like I mean he's like he's like the Irish Miyazaki. Like I don't, you know I don't know. Um, but I mean it is. That's, uh, it that's is, kind of like a Japanese whiskey, only different. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, but I'm but I'm I'm finding stuff and I'm you know I'm. You know, places like Netflix and Hulu are doing their own shows, and they're and they're they're taking chances, and they're doing some interesting stuff. And not all of it hits, but every now and then, you know, like Keep on the Wonder Beasts, or you know, like like something like I'm like, holy shit, like this is this is crazy. Or you know, the the Thunderbirds uh, redo on Amazon Prime is just the way to you know. I was so was glad great. that I could. Weta Weta did that. Yeah, and it was it was so it's so good, and I was I was able to introduce my son to Thunderbirds uh, with that first. And then that was the gateway drug to the old Thunderbirds, which mm -hmm. he's like, well, can I watch that? And I'm like, yes, you can. <laughs> and because, because he had watched, you know, the 22 minute episodes, um, he somehow, you know, he could, he could watch the hour long, you know, which sometimes, you know, you go back to that. And some, some of it's really, <laughs> the pacing, <laughs> the pacing is, is, is gross, but, but, you know, I got him into that. So, so I, so I've been watching, I've been going back and watching old stuff, but finding these these new things are just just great. Yeah, well, speaking of Gendy Tartakovsky, I, I just finally uh, watched Primal, uh, which right. I think and, ended its run recently, which was a blast. <laughs> which I have not been showing my son yet, but I've been watching. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm wait on that one. It, uh, I watched the first episode because yeah, I'm like my son loves dinosaurs. <laughs> you know, I'm like, <laughs> like okay, okay, <laughs> maybe maybe not that daddy much. show. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I've had a similar experience with with Caden, with my 11 year old, of kind of showing him him things and kind of experiencing some of these things with him. Although it's been a little different, right? We watched the Clone Wars together. Thank you, Steve. Um, <laughs> we watched Star Blazers 2199, which was yes. quite an experience because for me, it's both nostalgia and something new. Oh, and it's awesome! And it's awesome! And he loved every episode of it, and it's totally fantastic. I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, I discovered you know, uh, Berserk 
on Crunchyroll, and I right. love that. That's yeah. fantastic. And I have to tell you, and this is one that even though you know my my son has become quite the consumer of superhero fare, I, I haven't let him watch, but is just holds a special place in my heart. I just I love this show, Harley Quinn. Oh, oh it's great, fan. Yeah. Fantastic. It's like they yep. should call it Harley Quinn. We're sorry about Birds of Prey. It's so <laughs> great. It's so great. The performances are so great. It's like it's actually very, very touching and emotional, yeah. like when it needs yeah. to be. But yeah. at the same time, it's just you can't believe it. Like the Bane jokes are just awesome off the hook. Like, and just like little subtle visual jokes. Like yeah. he, you know, he walks, Bane walks in, like, and he's wearing carrying a coffee cup, and the coffee cup says, I am this coffee's reckoning. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so I yeah. love all that. Rob, yeah. how about you, man? Well, you know, I've been watching a lot of uh, like uh, Makoto Shinkai made uh, Your Name. And weathering with you, weathering with you, yeah. which I just watched, and uh, the the they're kind of these romantic, sweeping romantic fantasies. Again, Japanese. The artwork is incredible, and I'm a huge fan of like Satoshi Kon, who made the, oh. the par Paranoia Agent, which oh. I just got a steelbook of. Oh which yeah, is no Satoshi Kon. It, in many ways, is my Miyazaki. Oh like, my God! And yeah. I mean, you look at Perfect Blue and Perfect Blue, Millennium Actress, Actress. And Tokyo Godfathers, which is a great Christmas movie, um, by the way. If you if uh, if you're looking for a Christmas movie, I, no, so. but and, and unfortunately, he passed away. Yeah, and the, the these are the and, and paprika also, you know, paprika. Oh, yeah. Uh, again, all this stuff, and I uh, it's so good. I, his his thought process, amazing. And I I recently rewatched the the triplets of Belleville. And, uh, so, uh, great. So, so great. So great. And it, it's different than... It, what's interesting is the sensibility, what I really love about especially world animation, is the, the sensibilities of different cultures. Mm -hmm. So like tripl Triplets of Belleville is very French, obviously. Uh, the the uh, Weathering With You and, and, and Your Name are, are Japanese. And then I really like looking into like... Um, uh, old Czechoslovakian and Russian, like Eastern Bloc animation during yeah. the communist era because there was some really interesting animation happening then of all kinds, whether it was stop motion or cell animation. I, there's some really just great, great stuff. But Weathering With You is the last uh, movie I watched that I was like, wow. And of course, you know, America's no slouch either in that category. We're doing some amazing yeah. work. I mean, I just watched Soul yeah, and yeah. I found... Soul to be maybe not top tier Pixar, but I was very moved by it. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you can still be moved by, uh, it's amazing after what, 25, 26 years since Toy Story? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, <laughs> Pixar never fails to engage. Yeah. And the, an, the animation in that film is spectacular, and oh. a gr and a great score by uh, Trent oh. Reznor and Atticus Ross with yeah. Baptiste doing yeah. the jazz numbers. It's fabulous. I bought the score uh, right, you know, the next day, and yeah. it's been in heavy and, rotation. And you know, and let's let's not uh, let's not uh, edge uh, Spider Verse into the Spider Verse. Oh episode. well, oh, yes. yes. Which just, Never. I mean, come on. Uh, and yeah. the, I mean, again, not since Akira has anything animated light. And the city, the 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 look, yeah, amazing, just amazing. Yuri, yeah. you know a couple of things about Spider Man. I know a couple <laughs> things about Spider Man. You want to tell us but, something about you and Spider Man? But but honestly, he's right over my shoulder. Yeah, that's that's uh, 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 my my Earth ten forty eight Spider Man. Um, Did you get the hot toy figure of that? I, I have I have three of the hot toys 
figures from the from the game. And then did I they had, send those I to, to you the, for free because you are a goddamn Spider Man? Not always. Yeah, not no, always. No. I, I, I I laid out way too much money for that, but I had to have it. Um, wow, that's I, I feel a certain ownership uh, on that Spider Man, and uh, and who is who has also been you know made you know canon in in comics recently and in uh, and it the, the, that suit appears in Spider Verse. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it was their sort of tip of the hat to hey yeah we were probably playing the video game while we were making this movie. And by um, the way, an incredible yeah. video game. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and again, the combination, the the confluence of animation and video games now, it's a very thin line. Yeah. And we're finally we're playing the animated shows that we wanted to be a part of when we were kids. Exactly. Yeah. Some of some of my some of my favorite one of my favorite reviews said it was it's the best Spider Man movie that we've ever seen. You know, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> it was tremendous. Good. Yeah, I. It's it, it was it was yeah it was one of those things where everything came together. The you know the writing was top tier. The, you know the stories, the bits of the stories they chose, the direction they decided to go, the you know just the the, the cinematics and the, and the choices they made, and the, the people they got together to do it. And everybody was so clearly a fan, um, you know, that was working on it. And it was just it was just a joy. It's just a joy. Well, I hate to say it, but I'm hearing its last call here at the Cartoon Bar Room, and I, I want to thank better. our guests, uh, Robert Meyer Burnett, Yuri Lowenthal. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Yuri, we didn't get to talk too much about your career, but I hope you'll come back on and and talk about your all the tremendous work you've done uh, in animation and tell us some great I stories. Would, uh, just always consider me that guy that when the, the actual guest craps out at the last minute, you can, <laughs> Ash, can Ash, Ash knows he can text me in the middle of the night and I'll be like, yeah, hold on, let me fire up my computer. I'll be, I'll be that guy. I'm there. I'm an actor, goddammit. There's a camera? <laughs> it's like, what? So, yeah, uh, so yeah, we're going we're gonna to wrap things up here at the Cartoon Bar Room. I want to thank, uh, on behalf of Ashley, our sound engineer, Bill Ritter, who does his level best to make us sound good. in his the level, of level best. Oh. Level best. Uh, our production coordinator, Zach Regatz, who, and our production associate, Peter Holmstrom, who help coordinate everything and, and make sure everything is recorded and, and, and all that stuff. And, of course, our producer, Natalie Miscali from Electric uh, Entertainment. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please check out our sister shows, The 430 Movie, in which a group of industry professionals, including myself and Ashley Miller, uh, <laughs> uh, curate a fantasy theme week of classic movies. The Inglorious Trexperts, the ultimate Star Trek podcast, which Ashley is also a frequent guest on, along and with Rob, Rob Burnett. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the best movies never made uh, about films that never saw the light of a projector bulb. You can watch all these podcasts and much more on the free Electric Now video streaming app. Download it today at your favorite app store. So, uh, Ashley, any last words? Uh, you know, I think that this has been a pretty great shakedown cruise. Uh, I've had a lot of fun with my, my good friends. And I believe that the phrase that should carry us out is, that's all, folks. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production. Engineered by Bill Ritter for the Electric Surge Network.